Welcome to Emil Franzink's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. And a very good Saturday to you, Harry Alexander and Bunker de France here yeah. on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. It is Saturday, the 22 of February. Vinte dos. Uh, yeah, vinte dos. And our guest today in studio, we're doing poetry, cowboy poetry. Our guest is a cowboy poet? Is a cowboy poet. You're kidding me. Who actually knows it. That's all the poetry I'm going to do. And his feet show it. They're long <laughs> fellas. That's great. Oh, Bill God. Black. Bill Black. Tucson in Bill Black. Bill, I, welcome, I welcome keep, back. I keep getting all these accusations. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if, the, if the poop sticks, don't smell it. <laughs> well... The thing there is, you, you want to go on ahead and talk about Longfellow stuff? Well, yeah. <laughs> I even got some of it in poetry. <laughs> yeah, and as the other fellow said, and it's deep, too. Yep. <laughs> yep. All right. <laughs> yeah, you ruin a lot of boots doing this show. Yeah. We do, we do. We, de- we definitely do. He's gone through like five pair already. Oh. You, know, you know, we're working and in, uh, moving into our 14th year of this Four- program. 14? Okay, let's see. Eight. Oh six. Oh six. Wow. Okay, so we've been doing the podcast. What going on for now? Well, sure. podcasts have always been up, but oh, yeah, I mean, when, but, the, but, the, but the in this present format, we've been doing what three years now? Well, like yeah, we're the, going. The shows the show's got uh, fourteen years under its belt. Wow. Started out on a party line, didn't it? It certainly did. Yeah. Back when uh, Dixie cups and strings were uh, quite popular. No, we we used uh, uh, cans back in our day. <laughs> yeah, the ones from the beans. Yeah, yeah. That's why there was all that noise on the line. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cowboy poetry. Why are we doing cowboy poetry? Well, because it's about cowboys, and, and we can do it. And it is rodeo week here that's in right. Tucson. It's fun. It's fun. Fun, fun, fun. It's fun, and it's it's heritage. It gives you history and humor. A little pathos once in a while, get a little little tear in your eye, and, and it'll grit in your gut. And the reason we asked Bill to uh, come back, he's been on the show before, uh, we know him as a, a great poet, and uh, he's got uh, quite a bit of information on the history aspect of his poetry, history. cowboy poetry and such, so that's why we have the man on. Well, you know, let's, let's get... We started a new tradition a couple weeks ago. It's kind of what uh, our cowboy, uh, our tally book, uh, Voices of the West. I'll borrow my glasses. <laughs> I want to borrow your tongue. But uh, no, I don't. I know where it's been. No, I'm not sure. I don't know where it's been. Well, but uh, anyhow, um, I've started this tally book of, of the for Voices of the West, and each guest. I ask for their one outstanding thing of the West, and it could be movies, books, writers, artists, poets, songs, a poem. And Bill, it's your turn. And I got the book right here. I'm going to write your book in it. There you go, Bill. Oh, okay. Well, is, you that, know, is that black with a B? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the, the funny thing about it is. This guy's sitting here without even a whole poem. It's just the nib of a poem, uh, I know. a nib of a, a pen here that he's trying to yeah, write this tally with. Pen. That's his tally yeah. pen, and his tally pencil is just as short. <laughs> yeah, you actually, it's about the same length because I, I lost my old tally pen. It was shorter than this. Yeah. One. Well, you know, the funny thing about it is that uh, I, I brought along one of the individuals that I would put in this tally book. His name was Arthur Chapman. Let me let me look at that book. Here. Yeah, Arthur Chapman. Tell us about him. Then. Yeah, Arthur Chapman was a journalist and a historian, but the thing there that made him really special to me was that he created a town completely fictionally here in Arizona called, that he called Cactus Center, and he created an individual to be his main narrator for that called Cactus Pete. The odd thing about it was, when I started reading this guy's work, Cactus Pete sounded exactly like me. (laughs) (laughs) And so I could could do this guy's work, and it would really sound cheap. It almost sounds like something you'd say. So 
Something I'd say? Yeah, no, something I would say. Don't and you so, said something I'd say? Well, <laughs> something you, we'd say. Yeah. There you go. Why, you could say it too. Yeah, if I like it, I'll steal it. Anyway, <laughs> I, uh, I used several of his uh, poems uh, on my first record, uh, the uh, classic Western poems. Mm-hmm. Gosh, all the way back in 2002. Yeah. I'd say, tell us a little bit about some of your. your uh, not your poems, but your records and your and your books. Well, you see, what happened was I started writing the poetry, but when I was performing, I was performing uh, to where I would be an MC between music acts. Mm-hmm. Now, music acts take a while to get on stage, and they take a while to get off. So I would get up, and so that I wouldn't have a whole lot of stuff with me, I would be reciting poetry or telling jokes. And I was doing the Western poetry, because a lot of the shows had western themes. And I'd keep doing poetry until somebody had signaled me that the band was ready to start. Usually it was a bass player hitting me in the back of the head. (laughs) Good thing there was no trombone players in a cowboy band. But uh, the thing there was that Arthur Chapman's stuff uh, turned out to be very popular with that whole whole type of uh, audience. Throwing it in shoe fits. Yeah. Don't let anybody else wear it. Well, the thing there is that also worked uh, real well was that most of the pieces could be performed in about a minute or two mm-hmm. minutes, and so you could piece together two or three four, uh, two or three together if you had somebody that was having a real hard time getting tuned up, or you could go ahead and cut it short on uh, just one or two if they every, everybody was working well. If you got a solo act, they're almost ready to go when you come on, yeah. Oh, don't believe that. <laughs> Well, I'm not talking about the Freemur Donners. Well, no, I had one guy that I subsequently wrote a whole string of poems about. Uh, but he was a single act, and he'd have a 20-minute block. Mm-hmm. He'd take <coughs> about 10 minutes getting tuned up. <laughs> then he'd introduce one song and get about halfway through it and start to retune. But this guy kept on getting work. I never <laughs> understood why. How many songs never, did he play? Just the one song? Uh, the, the most I ever heard him play in a set, and he had 30 minutes to do that, was two songs. <laughs> two songs. <laughs> he must have had some pretty good patter then. Well, yeah, and the thing well, there yeah, it's is... Well, it's like Will Rogers, you know, you know he, he started out doing rope stuff, you know, on Broadway and and on, in a play, and then they gave him some words, and then he started doing that, and pretty soon he was talking more than and then he was twirling. Well, you know, that that's like me. I, I thought about it using a uh, musical instrument while I was performing there. And so I started asking people, performing the way I do, what kind of musical instrument should I use? Swinette. Well, no, everybody kept saying harmonica. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I dropped the idea of doing a musical (laughs) segment. You never knew about that, huh? Uh, well, I think you might have mentioned it, but if you did, I tried to forget. You know, yeah. I said, you know me. <laughs> well, now, you were there when I was doing some rope tricks. Yeah, that was when I was doing the uh, stuff there that was left over from when I did a magic act. And it was a uh, cutting restored ropes and things of that type. Well, you know, I tried to do some cowboy poetry live, and it turned <laughs> into a magic act. Yeah, the audience disappeared. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. You you try to get a count of the house before you start and a count of the house when you finish. And You don't need closer, as many fingers, do you? <laughs> well, the closer <laughs> the numbers are together, the the better success you've had. <laughs> so did, were you doing uh, poetry, cowboy poetry, while you were still in the Army? No. Uh, while I was in the Army, that was before I really started writing that much okay. uh, Western material. Okay. So it was mainly the type of things there that were uh, the Southern type, Poetry, where I was writing about bars and drinking and being. Hey, you're in North Carolina, North Carolina, right. born and bred. So he's writing about his life experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know that's the thing. I am from North Carolina, and so if you don't play a musical instrument, uh, you've got to write poetry or tell stories. Yeah, yeah. It's it's part it's of the tradition. Yeah. It's a requirement. Oh yeah, they'll run you out of the hills. Yeah, if I'd have been a better liar, I could have probably been elected to 
professional. Uh, you could have been like Jimmy Davis. Well, no, I could have been a politician and yeah. gotten well paid. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, nobody wants to sink that low. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the thing. I was always considered to be too honest. <laughs> yeah, politicians out for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you if you wouldn't have a happen if happen to have an Arthur poem there ready for us, would you? Well, as a matter of fact, I do have an Arthur Chapman uh, poem there. What a coincidence! It was, it was one of the uh, it was one of the first ones that uh, I started using in the shows, and it was called the Ostrich Punching of a Royal Owl. Oh, I like it already. <laughs> well, the thing there is, when he wrote it, uh, not many people had a problem with it. Arizona has always been one of those states that was copper, cattle, citrus climate, but a lot of people didn't realize at one time. Its second biggest agricultural product was ostrich feathers. Yes, ostrich feathers were used a lot in the, in the fashions back in that era. Yeah, the birders. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so, Chapman went on ahead and talked about one of his cowboys uh, experiencing this, and he goes, "I was broke in Arizona and as gloomy as a tomb when I got a chance at punching." for an outfit called Star Plume. I didn't ask no wherefores, I just lit out with my tarp, as happy as an angel with the newest make a harp. When we headed for the bunkhouse on our first day on that range, I thought the tracks we followed was peculiar-like and strange. And when I asked about it, the roundup foreman says, you ain't a punching cattle owl, but are herding ostriches. <laughs> Well, we chased a batch of critters across that hot and dusty plain, though it was like a puppa chasing a USA mail train. <laughs> we finally got them herded in this wire fence corral, and the roundup foreman says, offhand like, just go in and rope one, Al. Well, the first one that I tackled was this Eiffel Tower bird, but my rope ain't pinched his thorax before several things occurred. He spread out his millinery just as if he meant to fly and reached a stilt out careless and smote me above the eye. <laughs> they pulled me out from under that milling mass of legs and fed me some hot whiskey and the yolks of ostrich eggs. And as soon as I was able, I pulled freight for cattle land. That ostrich punching business never gets my okay brand. <laughs> That's great. Oh, that is great. I can just see him laying there yeah. with a big old ostrich print right on his chest. You know? <laughs> well, you know, the thing about it is, if you take a look at an ostrich track, it is just about a foot and a half long from, from yeah. the foretoe all the way back to the spur on yeah. the back. Yeah. And they, they have been known to kill a person. They're not. They're not exactly friendly birds, yeah. from what I understand. No. Well, except for the ones up on uh, between here and Phoenix. That the only reason they're there. friendly is because you've got a biscuit in your hand. Yeah, exactly. Don't don't have no biscuit. You better watch yeah, out. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna leap in here then, and give you a little background history about cowboy poetry. Just a little short piece here. This is uh, Mr. Dave Stanley wrote this uh, for Cowboy Poets and Cowboy Poetry, a fine fine book. Anyhow, here we go. Most of the cowboy poets active in the period before and after World War One, those whose poetry still lasts were not native westerners, Thorpe being something of an exception in this in his successful adaptation to ranching life. By 1906, for example, Charles Badger Clark, the Badger is a family name, not a nickname, <laughs> was sending poems to the Pacific Monthly from the Arizona ranch near Tombstone where he was caretaker. But like Thorpe Clark, 1883 to 1957, was not reared around ranching. His father was a minister in Iowa and South Dakota, and Clark was in Arizona primarily because his doctor thought he had tropical fever and that the dry climate might affect a cure. Thus, most of Clark's knowledge of the cowboy life was from observation rather than direct experience. Yet his A Cowboy Prayer, The Glory Trail, or High Chin Bob, and a border affair, Spanish is the loving tongue, have become standards for recitation. 
And I, you know, I just kind of wanted to mention that because I mentioned it when I read from this before that sometimes what uh, David is saying kind of gives you the impression that <laughs> these guys weren't cowboys or the people that from the east weren't cowboys. But the true history of the cowboy is, you know, Western migration. Young boys running away from the family farm in Minnesota, South Dakota, coming out of the slums of Brooklyn and New York. Well, there was more than that uh, to it also. One of the things that was happening in the post-Civil War era was that there wasn't enough to eat and there wasn't enough to base a whole lot of agricultural economy on. Right. So there was a lot of Western migrationers, a migration of uh, Southerners who just happened to uh, adapt well to a farm life. And they uh, brought their songs with them, they brought their stories with them, and a lot of that became the basis of a lot of what we consider to be our cowboy and western poetry, but also our cowboy and western music. Right. And one of the things that's happened over the last uh, 10 to 20 years is that the portion of it which uh, takes place across Louisiana, uh, East Texas, and across the southern uh, border area has become what's called a border grass mm -hmm. music and a border grass poetry. Uh, it has a strong southern element. It has a strong uh, bluegrass type element. It has a, song, uh, a strong merging of this southern economy, southern uh, rural background and things like that. And you hear it in a lot of what you get. Yeah, you know, the fall along in that line, you know, if you, if you look at kind of, you look at the history of the people who became working cowboys? Uh, a good because most of the work early early working cowboys uh, came out of Texas, which really were people coming out of the South migrating to Texas when when Mexico still had it for land, and they were bringing all of their southern. There wasn't a lot of uh, northerners moving to Texas in that time. They were because it was it was these were poor you know rural people, you know scratch farming and. You know, some guy that had 60 acres, if he's lucky, to go out to Texas and have a couple of thousand hectares, you know, mm -hmm. for settling. And that's the other thing, you know, that's what brought slavery into Texas. The early cowboys, when, you know, after the Alamo and Texas become a territory and it's, it's, you know, its own country and its state, the cowboys, the early cowboys in Texas were mostly black. They were the mm -hmm. slaves, or they were the vaqueros from the, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of white cowboys out there because they didn't have that kind of skill. Well, you know, that, uh, that whole thing is also one of the things that shows up in some of the pre-World War I uh, types of poetry and songs. Mm -hmm. In it, the, uh, the whites, the cowboys, the uh, North Americanos, uh, were the were the poor class, mm -hmm. and they would be moving into Mexico, trying to get an economic improvement. And the people that were the landowners were the uh, were the uh, Mexican old families, old traditional families that had built the rancheros, and that was the whole basis of uh, Arthur Clark's uh, border affair, right. where the uh, cowboy is uh, romancing a, a woman that uh, is a part of a ranching family. In Mexico, mm -hmm. we are well, hold on. We are talking about cowboy poetry here on this edition of Amo Franzi's Voices of the West. Our guest is Tucson cowboy poet Bill Black. I'm Harry Alexander. Bunker DeFrance is here, and uh, this is Amo Franzi's Voices of the West. We're going to be back right after these important messages, so do stay tuned. <laughs> Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities 
activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallion.com or call 520-297-0252. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club is one of the best-kept economic secrets in town. This 900-member group maintains one of the finest shotgun shooting ranges in the country, featuring trap, skeet, five-stand, and sporting clays fields, and hosts national and international events that bring thousands of people and millions of dollars into our community. The Spring Satellite Grand American Tournament alone involves 1,200 participants for 10 days. Learn more about this and their other contributions to our community at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. As we recognize the service of America's men and women in uniform, Let's also honor the families who sacrifice so much every day. Military families endure frequent deployments and separations. They carry on while their loved ones are sent into harm's way and wait patiently for their safe return. If you really want to honor a veteran, look for ways to support their families and thank them for their sacrifices. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Read classic Western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net. He looks like he's got rubber bones. His hair's always shaggy, his whiskers grow like moss. His clothes are always baggy, he's a total loss. Mother Nature must have made his legs to fit a horse. Oh, Bo Legged John. We are back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander Bunker de France, and our guest is Bill Black, Tucsonan and a cowboy poet. Bo Legged Jones, Ray Whitley. Old, cow, good. old like cowboy that. music. You know, sometimes <clears throat> we got to play a little bit more of those songs. You know, mm-hmm. not when we got a good guest like Bill here, but you know, when sometimes when it's just you and me yakking. That's well. It, this begs the question, obviously, that music uh, is poetry in, unto itself. Uh, I mean, there's uh, when you have the, the is that what the, they call it, lyric poetry? Yeah, the the music un- by itself has to follow a progression, or or should, should follow a progression. <laughs> and so, in writing um, lyrics, I mean, not all songs rhyme, but most of them do. So. Uh, the influence of these old uh, Western entertainers like Ray Whitley and Johnny Bond and and such uh, uh, impact on on the cowboy poetry. Yeah, uh, let me give you let me give you an example. Uh, Bunker was talking about uh, a border affair by Badger Clark. He wrote that in uh, 1906, mm. and it was published at around that same time. Well, the thing that you found out was uh, by 1926, that had already been converted into Spanish as a Loving Tongue mm-hmm. uh, as, a, as a musical piece mm-hmm. from A Border Affair. And since 1926, the thing's been recorded by over 50 different artists. Mm-hmm. And practically every one of them has changed some portion of the lyric or another to fit in the way that they're doing it. And it's been handled all the way from traditional country to a very Cajun style to even rock type mm-hmm, styles. Mm-hmm. When you get into it as the uh, song that we normally have, the lyric does change, but when you hear the basic story, you get the whole thing and you yeah. see mm-hmm. how, how easily it was yeah, adapted. Yeah, yeah. Well, Marty Robbins had, I think, one of the best versions of that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's one of the unique things about Marty Robbins is he had this voice that uh, while it was a great singing voice, it was also a great storytelling voice. It was, and a lot of his, uh, a lot of his songs are poems. Are poems that make tremendously good 
yeah. uh, recital pieces yeah. that, oh, I, as poems. The Alamo. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't have it committed to memory, but I have probably 80% of it. And I don't know how many times I'll be in the, in the bathroom brushing my teeth or shaving, and I'll start doing it I just spontaneously. There's just something about it that always comes back to me. Yeah, I'm glad you don't perform on stage that way. <laughs> we're, we're trying to stop him from doing those kinds of oh, things. Oh, no, no, no. <clears throat> and this is why we only limit our uh, on our, our live appearances to one a month because because of that situation. <laughs> well, <laughs> you mean I'm not alive? No. I'm canned? Or no, 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 I, I'm no, canned, no. that means I'm fired? No, 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 no. That's what you imply. No, 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 no. No. Well, speaking of border affair, uh, Mr. Black, would you happen to know about a border affair you could tell us? Well, I can do the uh, I can do the pieces of poem. I didn't bring along any type of uh, musical instrument with me. I can hum. What? No harmonica? No, no harmonica. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> well, it, it really doesn't. It really doesn't work too well with our harmonica. It does. It does do real well with a. Uh, with a guitar, though. <laughs> but it goes like this. Spanish is a loving tongue, soft as music, light as spray. T'was a girl I learned it from living down Sonora Way. I don't look much like a lover, yet I say her love words over. Often, when I'm all alone, mi amor, mi corazón. Nights when she knew where I'd ride, she'd listen for my spurs. Throw them big doors open wide, raise those laughing eyes of hers. How my heart had nigh stopped beating as I'd hear her tender greeting, spoken soft for me alone, me amor, me corazón. Moonlight's on the patio, old senora nodding near me and Juana talking low so the madre couldn't hear. How the hours would go a-flying, all too soon I'd hear her sighing in her sorry little tone. Adios, mi corazón. Then one day I had to fly from a foolish gambling fight, and we said a quick goodbye on that black unlucky night. When I stopped her arms from clinging, her soft words my hooves kept ringing as I galloped north alone. Adios, mi corazón. I ain't seen her since that night. I can't cross the line, you know. I killed a man in that gambling fight. Like as not, it's better so. Yet somehow I sort of miss her since that last wild night I kissed her. Left her heart and lost my own. Adios, mi corazón. That's a poem. Yeah. It's it's one of those poems that, you know, you go, I don't know if it's prettier as a poem or as a song because it's also one of the prettiest songs of of all time, I think. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Uh, if you're a uh, if you're a cowboy uh, musician, that's one of the things you got to have in your repertoire. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Well, let's see here. I've got a poem here, and because we were talking just before the break about you know how the cowboys were Easterners and that migrated west into a culture and grew up with the culture. And this is a poem by a fellow named Dennis L. Fisher. Uh, Ron Frame in his uh, Poets' Corner column kind of gave an introduction to him, which I think I'll read because it's a pretty good uh, precursor to what we're saying in a way. She said, I met a good old boy in Colorado a couple of years ago, a great poet and fine musician, Dennis Fisher. He claims to be a city feller, but he's as true a cowboy as ever did I meet. Here's a poem he wrote and recited at his first ever cowboy poetry gathering. And I think the poem kind of tells the story. Anyhow, this is it to want to be. This here is a tale about a feller who wishes he could be something other than himself. Of course, this feller being me. Uh, It happens every year this time for as long as I remember. Every cowboy in the country comes to the stock show time in Denver. They'll be a-riding and a-roping down there at the Coliseum when I up and gets to wanting and a-wishing I could be them. I don't pretend to know a lot about a horse or cow and, and to call myself a cowboy. Yeah, it, it wouldn't be right no how. I ain't ever done no branding nor dehorning, that's for sure. And my 
experience with a lariat is something worse than poor. Now, I used to do some riding, but that was plenty long ago before this old arthritis and gray hair began to show. I'm, I'm just too dang old to be sleeping on the ground, and I ain't worth the plug when my old woman ain't around. But I sure do love them campfires on a clear and starry night. I could listen to them cowboy yarns till the sky is breaking light. And them gatherings where they all bunch up and go to singing songs and rhyming. I tell you, I'm in total wonder at their phrasing and their timing. Yeah, I wouldn't want them cowpokes thinking I was jumping on their wagon rather think that I was worthy. Yeah, that'd be way too close to bragging. But Lord, my wish is only this, and I'm guessing that you know it. If and I can't be no cowboy, man, I won't be a cowboy poet. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice, well, that's, nice. that's the way a lot of us got to be one. Yeah, well, you know, that, that, and that's the beautiful thing about our heritage and our culture, which is what this show is about, really. But it's that it is an a inclusive uh, <coughs> culture. Uh, you know, there's people that will tell you, well, cowboys, they're just a bunch of rednecks. They're a bunch of hicks. They're, you know, they're a prejudiced bunch. But the one thing is... Cowboys are prejudiced. If you can't deliver, if you can't stand up, if your word is no good, well, you ain't a cowboy. And I think that's a pretty good standard because, you know, uh, I've known black cowboys, white cowboys, Mexican cowboys, even a couple of Chinese cowboys and one or two Jewish cowboys. But the one thing they all had in common, they was cowboys. With the... The way the West was settled <clears throat> with lots of Easterners, as we do know, um, those who took to writing, how were they received on the range, as it were? Were they kind of, I mean, you know, Hollywood will show us that oh, they're being left out of camp or yeah, you're just a, a sissy boy, you know, things, things like that. Now, I know that lots of people were a hell of a lot more educated than Hollywood tells us they were back in that day. Well, one of the things you'll find is that in a number of instances, some of the people had uh, cowboy and rural experience, mm -hmm. and that gave a true note, a true ring to what they were saying. Uh, but one of the things that also happened is a lot of their exposure ended up being in print. Newspapers, small newspapers, small magazines, use these things as fillers mm -hmm. and it got to be the type of thing that somebody would like and they'd keep repeating it and keep using it. Uh, Bruce Kiscadden uh, was an individual who had worked stock and got out into California and when he found out that he could make more money uh, working menial jobs in, in hotels then that's what he did and he wrote practically all of his poetry after that time. Nobody ever questioned the authenticity of it mm -hmm. because they were seeing it in uh, different types of ads, different types of calendars, mm -hmm. and it wasn't something that he was performing aloud. The idea that you're going to perform it aloud is something that really came in a whole lot later. Mm -hmm. uh, the people that began to learn it, there began to be enough of the stuff around that you'd begin to cite it at different gatherings. Well, it's, it's and, like... It's, and the ones like that were the Badger Clarks and the Arthur Chapman. It, it, it's like where your kinfolk come from, North Carolina. You, you sit around, you tell stories. It's oral history. And that is pa uh, passed down, passed down, passed down. And same with your, uh, your ancestors. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to read another paragraph here from Dave Stanley. E.A. Brennanstuhl, 1870-1957, a New York native, moved to Los Angeles at age 25, where he became a prominent reporter and editor for a series of newspapers. He wrote a daily column, feature articles, and verse, becoming a full-time freelance writer in 1950. He was the author of dozens of books on popular Western history, particularly the Indian Wars, and he also wrote in his lifetime some 5,000 poems, most of them treating cowboy and range life. His Trail Dust of a Maverick, 1914, was published in New York by Dodd Mead, 
with poems on a variety of topics, one of which, the old trail songs, demonstrate Burningstool's familiarity with cowboy singing, possibly via Thorpe's collection. And that goes along with what Bill was saying uh, and what you asked. Uh, these guys weren't dumb. No. no. And most of them did have uh, some form of education contrary to what the movies would make you right, believe right. and it was you know you think about it if you're if you're a cowboy working for an outfit in the winter time you're probably out in some line camp somewhere in a little old cabin they're bringing you once a month they're bringing you supplies for the to get you through to the next month until mm-hmm. spring and among that stuff is probably a stack of books and you know you get to you when you really get into these guys and you look into their background and their education. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was Harvard guys in there. Sure, you know uh, it's it's one of the fallacies that it, we you know that keeps getting perpetuated. And sometimes Bill and myself were guilty of it because you know we're we're, we're up there and we're pretending to be a bumpkin, and people figure if you're a bumpkin you ain't too smart. Well, if Bumpkin can't write a poem, he might be able to recite a few verses, but that's surely about it. It takes it takes either natural, native intelligence, mm-hmm. or you know, hard work and education. Cowboy, co- hang on. Cowboy poetry is our uh, topic on today's uh, Amble Franzi's Voices of the West. Our guest is Bill Black. I'm Harry Smith, along uh, Harry Alexander, along with Ellie um, Smith. Yeah, got along with. <laughs> <laughs> Along with Bunker to France, that was my secret idea. Yeah, okay, that's my um, alias. And uh, we're going to be back with much more right after these very important messages. Stay tuned. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. The Paul Ash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Paul Ash Management company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, first. Contact the Paul Ash Management Company today at polashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Paul Ash Management Company. Property managers you can trust. Man, this is frustrating. It's taken me like five minutes just to load my homepage. Did you try Control Alt Delete? Uh huh. Did you jiggle the cord? Uh huh. Did you turn it on and off again? Uh huh. Call Arizona Computer Guru. Don't let viruses get you down. With our Guru Protection Service, we'll keep you virus free. In fact, if you were to get a virus, we would fix it for free. Speak to a technician right now at 304 8300 or at azcomputerguru.com. Hello? I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right. It's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses. So they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. Hello. 
Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Tom, the host of the Movie Zealots podcast, and I'm inviting you to give the Movie Zealots podcast a listen. Every episode, my co-hosts and I review the latest box office releases, but there's more than simply just that. We also play games like the Alexa quote of the show and may the odds be ever in your favor and have a from the cutting room floor segment that is an open forum to discuss anything from our thoughts of a Netflix TV series to our experiences with movie subscriptions such as the AMC Stubs or MoviePass. So, after finishing this podcast, please give the Movie Zealots podcast a listen. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. Simply search Movie Zealots. Until then, that's a wrap. You're not going to use this story, Mr. Scott? No, sir. This is the West, sir. When the legend becomes fact, print the legend. This is the Voices of the West. Yes, that's what we are doing, is printing the legend here on Hamill Franzi's Voices of the West. Great with the legendary Bill Black as our guest. With legendary Bill Black and uh, Bunker de France and myself, Harry Alexander, we are legends in our own mind. Sub-legends. Sub-legends. <laughs> kind of take up a little space yeah. there. I was want to finish a little story yeah. we were doing off camera here because I think it's a great story. Uh, we were, Bill was talking about uh, dialect in Western poetry and stuff like that. And Colonel Tim McCoy, who we... You know, us affectionados of old Western movies, love and respect. When he went to Hollywood, he went as an Indian wrangler, because he had been an Indian agent back in the Dakotas, and he was hired to be an interpreter and also wrangle the Indians for this particular picture. Well, the Sioux, or Lakota, used to kind of laugh at him, because as a young man, he had learned sign language. But he had learned sign language from the from those squaws, and they would laugh because they would say, "Oh, Colonel Tim, he signed like a woman," because there was a difference. Mm-hmm. There was a you know, and we bring it to it without thinking about it. Now, you were going to give us something here about dialects. Yeah, what happens is that the idea of using a dialect to sell the individual piece means that the individual may not have spoke exactly that way but it's the way there that seems to make the piece work you'll find uh, dialect being used by Kipling in a lot of both of his poems and his stories you'll find it in western poetry quite frequently you were talking about Brendan Stuhl being a journalist Mm -hmm. I talked about Chapman being a journalist and a historian both of them spoke and wrote very very proper very proper English and yet both of them wrote uh, a dialect to match their characters colloquial and the one that we have here this is one that I used to do but I've forgotten practically forgotten it Uh, it's the old six gun and it was one of Brendan Stuhl's pieces you've been a good old pal to me in all the years gone by you saved my skin on many a spree when death was lurking nigh you've rusted some and battered too but i ain't knocking none cause they's a heap i owe to you you handy old six gun i packed you on the cattle trail way back in 86 and never knowed you yet to fail when i got in a fix you shot the light out, lights out more than once when we was stuck in town for fun and done a heap of them fool stunts, you handy old six-gun. When my old paws close on, close on your grip, I seem to see once more the prairie stretches on the strip and the old bunkhouse door. Where night times we would sit and gaze off towards the setting sun, oh, wasn't them happy days you handy old six guns. I remember them nights when we stood guard while we was trailing steers and the growling thunder ripped and jarred and grumbled in our ears and the stampede sure made us sweat. Twas sure a lively run. You barked a plenty then, you bet, you handy old six gun. And now you're hanging on the wall where firelight shadows play. I reckon taking all in all, you have seen your day. But then I think what you've been through and all the, that you've seen and done, 
a million plunks would not buy you, you handy old six gun. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I've That's got great. a thing here I want to I want to do because this is kind of like a preview to uh, next week's show. Uh, with our guest uh, Gene Freed's mm-hmm. doing uh, his new book, <clears throat> Western Films, with Robert Mitchum. And in the book, there is a little piece that they quote from uh, from Mitchum, and he was subbing for Jimmy Fiddler, who was a newspaper columnist back in those days. A lot of people today probably wouldn't recognize the name, but back then, practically anybody who read newspapers would have known who he was. Anyhow, this is this is what Mitchum wrote. And it, what I'll, I'll kind of explain it a little bit. He's talking about cowboy music, or but which is really he's talking about cowboy poetry or the words of the music. I like any kind of music that expresses the mood and customs of people. The old cowboy, cowboy the original range rider, was a forlorn and lonesome guy. He spent a lot of times, sometimes weeks on end, with nothing but horses and cattle for company. And talking to a horse becomes pretty discouraging pastime. It's so one-sided. When talking got tiresome, the lonely cowboy sang. He sang all the songs he knew, and after a while, this got tiresome because he plumb ran out of songs. So to while away the hours, he began making up his own tunes. He wasn't much at composing his tunes were simple. He was short on book learning, too, and so his words were plain. But somehow, out of loneliness, monotony, and the urge for expression, came a quiet sort of music. It was plain. It was elegant. It sounded like a ballad, which in a way it was. From such rough-hewn beginnings, cowboy music developed. The cowboys sang of people, places, shindigs, jamborees, shooting matches, necktie parties, love, He paid tribute to the heroes of his time, Jesse James, Jim Fisk, Sam Bask, and all the rest. He sang of towns like Laredo and Cheyenne. He sang of the plains and sky and the clouds. He sang about roundups, robberies, and rustlers. He sang about everything in the frontier world. As the pattern took shape, cowboy songs grew sturdier, bolder, and more colorful. They became a part of a country that was busting out at the seams, growing up, bulging its muscles. They became a part of legend and history set to music. Try listening to Tennessee Ernie Ford or Red Foley some evening. Take the trouble to discover some of the worthwhile albums done by the Sons of the Pioneers. They are what I mean by real cowboy music. You understand why I like cowboy music. And I thought, man, now here's a guy who his education was the road, riding mm-hmm. the rails, you know, during the during mm-hmm. the depression. Yeah. And he was considered one of the really one of the real intellectuals of Hollywood, even though he came, you know, he pers- he, he never Proclaimed that he always tried yeah. to come across as as one of us, you know, regular, Just a regular guy. guy, and he <laughs> was. But I thought, and this is this is a good example. What he was writing was like with these guys. He was expressing himself, and I thought he did an elegant job. He did as good a job as any professor could ever do explaining that, and in just a few words. We got to take our final break here. Uh, We're talking cowboy poetry, rhyming on the range. Here on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, our guest is Bill Black. Bunker to France is here. I'm Harry Alexander. We will be back with much more right after these very important messages. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. 
That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallion.com or call 520-297-0252. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Every time my Uncle Willie tells me about his service in Patton's Third Army in World War II, I'm reminded of what we owe the U.S. Army. Fourteen generations of American soldiers who have courageously defended our nation. Their stories represent the best of America and should never be forgotten. Join me to help build the National Museum of the United States Army a long overdue tribute to all American soldiers. To learn more, visit... The Army. Tucson Trap and Ski Club dates from 1948 and is now at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway. The club owns 80 acres and leases 300 more from Pima County that supports 50 trap fields, 15 skeet fields, two five-stand fields, two sporting place courses with 12 stations each, a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, 200 full-service RV hookups for members, and free Wi-Fi. This expansive facility gives enough room to host major national and international events annually, bringing thousands of people to the community. Check it out at Tucson Trap and Ski. Old Western Radio Theater every Saturday at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time only on the Voices of the West. B.O.W. Radio. I want to hear the wind blow over my campfire, brushing the smoke away. Rolled in my blanket there by the campfire, waiting the break of day. I wanna Why don't they have music like this now? <laughs> we got to play more of that I know, music. Sure, I know. Well, you know, we can hear a lot of that music and much more yeah. at VOW Radio. Find it on on uh, the internet you can find it at uh, voicesofthewest.net and there's a radio player there and you can uh, check out all that great old western cowboy music that uh, I have found and some that I haven't found and it's right up there and when you when you hit the sat the site it's right up there in the right hand right up corner, top right on top and right the little thing is spinning that's right trying to lure you in and uh, uh, before we run away uh, we did play a, a promo <clears throat> in our last break about um, uh, the movie Zealots podcast. Uh, check them out. Another podcast I invite you to check out, and I think you really should, is um, the Six Gun Justice podcast. Yes, yes. We, we had, had him on two weeks ago. We had Paul Bishop on two weeks ago or last week? Yeah, week? two weeks, two weeks ago. ago. And I'll tell you what, you talk about a fellow that that is in love with this stuff, and he really knows his he does. Pulp he does. Cowboys history. You know, he if does. you want to talk about cowboy books, pulp books, the old, yeah. you know, the old shoot them up <clears throat> with the lurid covers. He's the man. You can find them uh, at all of the major podcasting uh, houses. And uh, there's also a link to them uh, from voicesofthewest.net. So. And we'll be back sometime with him. Yes, we will. Bill Black is our guest. We're uh, doing cowboy poetry. We've got about uh, six, seven minutes left. So, uh, you guys go to it. Well, let me go on ahead and uh, remind you of something. This is Love <coughs> Reading Month that uh, a lot of the schools promote, but April is uh, National Poetry Month. Oh, that's right. And cowboy poetry usually takes part during the third week of the month. And then there's another one 
that I've always been a big fan of, and that's Poem in Your Pocket Day. This year it's Thursday, April the 30th, and the idea is you have a poem in your pocket that you can share with somebody. And I've been going around and doing this uh, for a number of years, trying to ask people, if you had a poem in your pocket, what would that poem be? When I first started doing it, the uh, one that I most likely found was El Dorado, hmm. uh, Edgar Allan Poe's piece. Have you got that poem in your pocket right now? As a matter of fact, <laughs> oh, I do. He got a big pocket, he too. Does, yeah. Uh, this is the one that I was giving out for uh, El Dorado for those oh. who wanted a copy that didn't but, have it. Was that that looked like Edgar Allan Poe on there? Really? It is. Oh, awesome. since he wrote it. Yeah. As a matter of fact. <laughs> There Edgar Allan Poet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. And I also did a whole lot of mine. And the, the thing there is that these were the kinds of things there that when I was doing shows, there'd be a few poems that people would ask for. And so some of those are the ones that I put on these things, just pull them in your pocket. And on the back of it, I went on ahead and told you a little bit about who I was, too. Nice. That's nice. But the thing there is where you're talking about the idea of a poem going into a song. This is one of them that a couple of guys have tried to write a, a yeah. song for. There's a honky-tonk woman in a memory of soft skin and perfume touch silk riding in my mind. Music and whiskey and chuck so fine round out that picture riding in my mind. It was days ago yet memories linger and flow as a soft glow in shady places riding in my mind. It's so far from life on mesas and draws in rough brush and canyons riding in my mind. I'll keep riding the canyons, rounding up money for my time to be heading back to the woman riding in my mind. Well, yeah. That's nice. You know, I've got, I've, we, you know, we've been talking and making it sound like, you know, if you're a cowboy poet, you know, you got to be an old geezer by the time you're getting around to writing it. And this, well, I'm, I'm fully into my geezerhood. Oh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> thank you I, very much. I got, I got, I got so much geese in me. God, the geese. There's so much geese in this room. That, oh, gosh. there's no er. <laughs> Just a lot of geese. No room for er. But anyhow, I, I want to read this little piece. This was a, something. Uh, the introduction was written by Brandy Brown. She was the copper and cotton stampede queen in 1999, 2000. And she's writing about a fellow named Roy Griffin. And she says, Roy was born December 13th, 1976. He grew up riding horses and working cattle with his family in southeastern Arizona. He graduated from Wilcox High School in 1995. Roy was known for poetry, cartoons, and having a way with cattle. I had the opportunity to become good friends with Roy just four months before a tragic car accident took his life. He was a good friend and loved by many's. Roy's poem, God Ground and Cattle, has been one of my favorites for years, and it's become one of my favorites. God Ground and Cattle. The days are getting long. The sun is getting hot. But this is the life I love, if I'm cussing it or not. I love the smell of cattle, the manure and the sage. I want to live this life unto my golden age. I love the feel of a horse beneath my saddle and legs. I love the early mornings, breakfast, bacon, toast, and eggs. I don't even mind the fencing or working on the old windmill because you know, it's rewarded with the sunset so quiet and still. And when I leave this ground on which I work the land, I hope God has a pot in heaven for the soul of an old ranch hand. Roy Griffiths was born in 1976. He died in 1996. He had 20 years, uh, but he died with the soul of an old ranch hand. Hmm. And that's, that, that, it, that to me is, is one of the most important things is that's what makes cowboy poetry. It's the soul of the of the of the individual that's writing it. You know, you just you just can't sit down and intellectually write a cowboy poem. I don't believe. Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. Well, it comes from the heart. Yeah. Right. That's 
supposed to come from the heart. It comes from life. Yeah. And, you know, and of course, you know, here he, he was 20 years old, uh, but he had grown up on a working ranch down around outside of Wilcox. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty much what he knew. He was probably a 4-H or FFA boy. You know, he had, you know, he probably was could ride better than he could walk mm-hmm. when he was little. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that was his life and what he knew. He could, you know, if fate had been different, you know, maybe he might have gone off to the U of A and got himself a degree in engineering and went to work for NASA. But you know what? I honestly believe if that had happened, he'd still be a cowboy at heart. And that's all the time we have for today. Bill, thank you so much. Thank you, You're Bill. quite welcome. Bill Black, uh, Tucson Cowboy Poet, is our guest. Bunker to France, Harry Alexander, will be back next week live out at White Stallion Ranch. <laughs> until then, until then, so long. Adios. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West.